said I hate it. The lightning struck me down. If I lied, me no one be around when my tongue's untied. Everybody says it's okay. All the little things I say with my big fat mouth. Well, good morning. <laughs> oh, man. Anybody want to switch places this morning? Or if you kicked your shoes off, you just put them back on because you just know that probably all of our toes are going to get stepped on a little bit today. And uh, I include myself in that. Well, if uh, this is your first time here, maybe it's been a long time, I just want to say welcome uh, to those who are tuning in online or here in person. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and, uh, and we are just grateful that you are worshiping with us uh, today. Um, and let me just say this before we get into God's Word. Um, small groups are not just something we do. Uh, it's what we do, and it's what we believe in. And if you have been coming to this church, or even if today is your first Sunday coming here, uh, we believe that relationships happen in small groups, freedom happens in small groups, and we want you to be a part of a small group. Find your community, uh, and we believe that there are a lot of opportunities, and not just physically gathering together, but we also have some of our small groups that will be available online. So just because you're still watching at home does not mean that you cannot be in relationship with people growing together. And, uh, and I'm excited about this fall semester because uh, my dad and I are actually leading a men's small group together on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and it's, so it's been a while since I've uh, led a group on Wednesday nights. And so we are uh, doing a, a journey together. And if you are a man and you're tuning in online or you're here, I would love for you to be a part. Uh, we're doing a series, a, a semester. It's actually going to be multi-part called Joshua's Men. And, uh, and it just kind of focuses on this idea that Moses was leading and Joshua was raising up the next generation. And so we want to invest in the next generation and, uh, and not just the younger generation for all of us to say, how can we be men of God? And so really excited about that. Sign-ups are today. You can do it on the app website, uh, and you can get more information in the lobby if you're here with us. Now, there's a story I read this week in prepping for the message, and, and, and it goes like this. A man was working in the produce department, and, uh, and he was asked by a lady if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. And he replied, half a head, are you serious? God grows these in whole heads, and that's how we sell them. She said, you mean that after all these years I've shopped here, you won't sell me half a head of lettuce? He said, look, if you like, I'll ask the manager. So she indicated that that would be appreciated. So the young man marched to the front of the store, and he began to speak to his manager. He said, you won't believe this. There's a lame-brained idiot of a lady back there, and she wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. Now, he noticed the manager was gesturing at this time and turned around to see the lady standing behind him, obviously following him to the front of the store. And he continues, and this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half 
he continued. Some of you are quick enough to catch that. Later in the day, the manager cornered the young man. And he said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet I've ever seen. Where did you learn that? He said, I grew up in Grand Rapids. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. The manager's face flushed. He interrupted, my wife is from Grand Rapids. The young man replied, and which hockey team did she play for? Have you ever found yourself in a moment like this where your tongue, your mouth, your big fat mouth has gotten you into trouble? Because I know I have. And so we're going to take the next couple of weeks and we're going to kind of dive into this topic of our mouth. Because I believe that one of the greatest things that gets us in trouble... And it's not just confined to the church, but it is prevalent in the church, is our mouth. And so I want us to just uh, take two weeks, and we're just going to carve out some time. We could probably take the next two years and talk about the tongue. But we're going to take the next two weeks, and we're going to talk about it. And so today's message title, if you're taking notes, is this, Complaining plus criticism equals catastrophe. Complaining plus criticism equals catastrophe. And so we find this letter in the New Testament, uh, and, and it's written by, by James. There, well, there's actually a few theories on who it was written by, but the most prevalent and popular of opinion is that James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this letter. And, uh, and it's really a great letter, and probably uh, by many biblical scholars would consider it the Proverbs of the New Testament. Why? Because it gives us instruction for our daily life. How do we live and how should we live as followers of Christ? And so I just want to read this, uh, and we're going we're gonna to be in James chapter 3, reading for a few verses here today, uh, picking up in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James was not playing around here, and he keeps going. All kinds of animals... Birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, just underline this if you have your Bible this morning, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James, in a matter of nine verses here, proves a pretty strong point that while we attempt to praise and curse out of the same mouth, it's really not possible. If we want to live the life that God has intended for us to live, if we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, which should be all of our life's goals, all of our aim, how should I live my life today? It should be to follow Jesus. And if that is the aim of our life, it is not possible to spew cursing and vile, poisonous things from our mouth and praise our Heavenly Father. And so I just figured today would be a fun day, perfect day, August 30th, 2020, in the midst of all the craziness this year, let's talk about our big fat mouth. Because I don't think that there's a nice way to talk about your mouth. I just really don't. When we think about our, the tongue, when we think about the mouth, and we think about how much it can get us into trouble, we just kind of... We just need to call it what it is. And it's our big fat mouth and it gets us in trouble. So today, I want us to talk about a few of these truths. And we're really going to be focusing on complaining. And we're really going to be focusing on criticizing today. And so our first truth that we're going to talk about is this. Is that complaining compromises your light. Complaining compromises your light. Thanks, Dad. I can always count on him. I'm like prepping this message. It's good. It may be a little quiet today. It may be a little uncomfortable, but that's all right because you know why? This is not a message that is preaching at you. This is something that we can all, myself included, can dig into God's word and say, what is the truth and how do I become a better follower of Jesus through this? So this truth, complaining compromises your light. We find this in Philippians 2, verses 14 through 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's, that's tough. But I love what, what Paul writes here. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So here's what I see in Paul's writings is that if we can do things without grumbling and arguing and complaining, then we can shine bright. So then if we choose to grumble and complain and argue, then we are diminishing the light of our life. When you dig into what these actual words are, in this translation, the New International Version uses the term grumbling, which means literally to complain or to murmur. And then you have this term, they chose the word arguing, but really the, the, the Greek word here is rooted in meaning to reason. So if you take the literal, don't complain even trying to reason that it's okay. Because that's where I think a lot of us find ourselves. We justify the behavior of our mouth. 
We like to reason that the things that we profess with our mouth are okay and we are justified to hold that position. And if we continue to operate in that, then we are watching the light of our life, which is Christ within us, begin to diminish to the darkness in the world around us. So, do everything without complaining. See, your light is is compromised when you complain. Why? Because it boils down to this, your complaints that you have, and we all have them. But our complaints, when we begin to vocalize it, are not against people or against that thing. It's really against God himself. God wasn't strong enough to stop this thing I'm complaining about. God wasn't smart enough to keep this thing out of my life that I'm complaining about. God doesn't have my best interest at heart, so he let this happen. When we get into this pattern of complaining, we're really not complaining against our circumstances. We're not really complaining about people or the system. We are complaining that God does not know what's best for my life. And then if we really begin to drill down and we begin to look at all the things we complain about, it's really just rooted in self. Our complaints are really just a reflection of just how selfish we really are. I remember there's a few years ago, and I can tell this story now because I'm not in Florida and I'm in South Carolina, but uh, there's a few years ago that we dared to take some teenagers on a missions trip. And I was a youth pastor at the time, and we've done quite a few of those, but this missions trip was... um, It was unique because I was no longer the youth pastor, but uh, for a set of circumstances, I still had to lead this trip. And so I really, I don't know that I really wanted to go on the trip, but, you know, it was just the nature of my position at the time. And so I needed to step in and lead. And so we were going to Costa Rica to work with some of our favorite missionaries on, on the planet. And if you've been a part of Greenville First for long enough, you know Jay and Nancy Dickerson very, very well. And so we were taking a group of teenagers to help run their camp in Costa Rica. And it was going to be a good trip. I was more excited about spending time with them than I was being with these teenagers for, uh, you know, a week. And if you've ever been on a missions trip, there are different missions trips that we've taken over the course. You know, you take missions trips and sometimes you stay in a hotel. You take missions trips... one of the first ones we led was to El Salvador, and there were, you know, spiders the size of, like, your fist balled up climbing on the ceiling in the cafeteria, you know. There are those missions trips. And, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'd probably rather stay in the hotel than have spiders the size of my fist hanging around everywhere. But this was one of those missions trips. And, you know, I hate technology. I'm just going to complain about technology just for a second because when we first started taking mission trips, you kind of told kids, hey, tell your parents you'll see them in a week. Well, now Wi-Fi is everywhere and everybody's got international plans, so that's not the case anymore. And I remember being on this mission trip. I mean, you go to figure these kids have raised money to go on this mission trip. They've worked hard in training to go on this mission trip. And then we get on this mission trip, and I'm getting phone calls from parents who are complaining about the room conditions that these kids are sleeping in. It's too hot. They don't have air conditioning. There's spiders in the cabins. Well, yeah, we're in the jungle of Costa Rica. What did you expect when you signed up for the trip? 
I remember being so frustrated because it was this, it was this realization that the students we had taken on this trip were so selfish that they could not even get beyond that we were there to do ministry to other people and they were still focused on their own condition and their preferences and their conveniences. Now that's just one story. But I probably could tell a story on each one of us in the room that's been in a similar situation. Maybe it wasn't on a mission trip. Maybe it was yesterday during team conference because the auditorium was too cold. No, I'm just kidding. It was cold yesterday. Maybe it's two Sundays ago and, and you felt like the music was just a little too loud. Whatever the case may be, we all find ourselves in these selfish moments. And it's not that we can't have opinions. See, Scripture doesn't say don't have an opinion about it and it diminishes your life. It says stop grumbling and complaining about it. Which means we're taking our opinion and we begin to vocalize it, which is diminishing our light. 1 Corinthians 10.10 says this, And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Woo! Now let me just give you some connection here, because we got to answer this question. Who's getting killed because they're complaining? Because I don't want to be them. Whatever they're complaining about, I don't want to complain about. But we find that this is telling the story of the Israelites. The Israelites are a prime example of where many of us fall into the same trap. Because the Israelites were complaining about their answered prayers. They prayed for freedom and then complained when they were free. Lord, we would have been better off in Egypt. <laughs> you know, you, you find that they... The promised land is right there. And what do we find? We find that they were complaining about the fact that there were giants in the land, not trusting that their prayers God was already answering and leading and guiding them. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face obstacles, but they're complaining about the very things that they prayed for. And what do we see? We see a generation that missed out on the promises of God because they could not get control of their big fat mouth. How many times do we find ourselves in our selfish nature complaining about the very things that we prayed for? We prayed for that spouse. <laughs> we prayed for our kids. We prayed for our job. We prayed for a church for us to be a part of. And the very things we prayed for and God began to answer are the very things that we complain about. And it's not just y'all, it's me too. <laughs> I have found myself at times just in this, in this funk of grumbling and complaining. And all I do in those moments is I begin to diminish the light that is within me. One pastor said this, if you can change your circumstances, do something about it. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. If that's not a solution to stop complaining and start living a life-giving life. I want to ask you a question, what would your life, what would my life even look like if we just took the next seven days and did not complain about anything? How would your marriage look seven days from now? How would your parenting look? What would your job situation look like if you just stopped complaining 
and let your light shine. Choosing gratitude instead of complaining. Lord, I'm thankful I have a job even though my boss is a jerk. (laughs) You can have that moment with God because why? He knows your thoughts anyways. So you can... But I don't need to tell everybody else at the workplace, in the office, that they're a jerk. They probably know it. So why don't I become thankful and grateful for the job that we have? Versus being one of the ones at the water cooler that are talking about how bad of a leader the boss is. Or picking up the phone and talking to your your mom or your sister and telling them how how awful of a husband you have. What if we just started being grateful? Our life would begin to shift and change. And I believe that our big fat mouth would stop getting us in trouble so much. Dr. Travis Bradbury, he wrote a book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I don't know if you've ever taken that test. read that book. It's a great book. But he says this, that complaining rewires the brain to to more complaining. That's why James says that we can't tame our tongue because our tongue just continues to get us in trouble. And then when it gets us in trouble, it gets us in more trouble. Because it begins to rewire the way we think and the way we see things. We become negative people. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around negative people. I don't look and say, where are the biggest complainers? Let me hang out with them. I'm going to invite them to my small group. (laughs) No, we have a wonderful list of other small groups that we will point you in the right direction if that is you. Now, our small group has like 25. We've got a whole kids ministry meeting at our small group. You probably don't want to come to our small group on Sundays. But we don't want to be around negative people. Why? Because negative and complaining people, their light is going out. Scripture says that the light within us, it should be attractive to those around us. So if we're complaining, and Paul says that complaining diminishes our light, then then one plus one is always going to equal two. People will not want to be around you. If you look around and you say, I don't have any friends, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, maybe your big fat mouth has gotten you there in the first place. Because complaining compromises and diminishes your light. But gratitude will rewire your brain against complaining. It will reverse the course. The second truth this morning is this. Criticizing without care is destructive. Criticizing without care is destructive. See, the thing about criticism is for many, or, or I should say most of us, we love to be critical of others. You know how I know this? Because you look, America's Got Talent, American Idol, all these competition shows. that we, You know why we love to watch them? Most of you probably even never make it to the live rounds because you just like to watch all the awful people and talk about how awful they are. Because it's a safe space for us. We're critical of people because we can't really hurt them. We're just sitting on the other side of our TV screen. But that pattern of behavior flows into our everyday life. When we begin to to normalize criticism without care, we are destroying those around us. See, criticism can be constructive, but it can also be destructive. 
There are times in the construction process where you may need some explosive. I thought we were going to need, need some explosives to build our house because we, we just followed Scripture. The Lord says, build your house upon the rock and it shall not fall. But Brother Terry, how many rocks did we dig out of the house? I mean, it's getting a little scary there. But you know what? That same dynamite, TNT, that could actually pave the way for a house to be built can also destroy a house really quickly. It's not that criticism is bad. It's criticism without care, without compassion, without the best interest of wherever the criticism is taking place. It can be constructive or destructive. Galatians 5, 14 through 15 says this, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it continues, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, we teach our kids not to bite really early. But then sometime during our, the course of our life, we stop biting people with our physical teeth and we bite people with our words. And we have got to be careful because I heard one pastor say this and he was speaking in reference to another pastor who had had some moral issues go on. And he calls this pastor on and begins to speak life into him. And he looks and he, he looks out at the audience of church leaders at this conference and he says, you know, Christians are the only army that will shoot their wounded. Because we become so critical of others, and it's not for the purpose of construction, but destruction. And I believe that the enemy uses this as a trap in the church to kill people out of the church. You know what? I don't care what you smell like, look like, what you were doing last night or this morning. There is a place for you. And I refuse to have anybody in this church that would tell you otherwise. You need help finding an exit? We will find you one if you begin to speak destructive things against people in this church or to people in this church. Why? Because as the shepherd of this flock, the temporary shepherd, there's a greater shepherd that's leading us all. I will fight off wolves that have been sharpening their teeth. But so many times we find ourselves and we have sharpened our teeth, whether it's people in the church, whether it's people in our family, whether it's our boss, whether it's our siblings. Has your boss, your spouse, your kids been devoured lately? Have you been biting, biting? And remember this, your big fat mouth just isn't, just isn't attached to your face. It's also attached to that keyboard on your phone, on Facebook, that email. You need to begin to ask these questions. Am I building bridges or burning them? Am I cutting people or am I healing people? Am I encouraging people or am I hurting people? Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, there's a difference between criticizing with care and without care. You know, every Monday morning we have a staff meeting and we pick apart what took place on Sunday. You know why we believe that this is an acceptable and a healthy behavior? And Well, let me just pause. You know the reason we don't do it on Sunday? Because the emotion is still real. If somebody drops a ball on Sunday, 
it's not the right time because that criticism is not going to be handled with care. We just put that, we just put that luggage, we just slung it into the airplane. If you've ever traveled, you know, you've watched your, you're like, if that was your suit, if that was your mother's suitcase, would you treat it that way? You know, we put the china into the box and there's no bubble wrap. (laughs) Here you go. I mean, that's how we can be. But we take Monday mornings to reflect on what happened on, on Sunday. And we're critical. But we're critical with care. You know why we care? Because what happens on Sunday is paving a path for people to come into a knowing and a saving relationship with Jesus. So if we never take time to carve out to be critical to get better, critical with care, critical to build, then we are diminishing our effectiveness for the kingdom. But the moment we begin to become critical of people and not the behavior, critical of the person and not the action, we become destructive versus constructive. You know, one word of criticism can cut somebody off at the knees. But one word of encouragement can also build a platform for people to launch from. I will never forget the moment I was sitting in. We had, we had like a green room that sat off of our auditorium in our church in Lakeland. And I'll never forget, I think it was a back-to-school prayer service and I'm sitting in there and it's my senior pastor at the time and and we're sitting there and we're talking and he began to encourage me it was the first time that the light bulb went off that I may be called to do something else than what I was doing and he began to look and he just said Josh you know we recognize that one day you will be a lead pastor it is in you God has put it there Now, here is a church of thousands of people, large membership, ministries, tons of pastors on staff. And he took the time in that moment to encourage me. And it was finally the connection was made. Why? Because in a moment of encouragement, it wasn't that I've been running on what he said in that moment. No, what he said in that moment connected to what God had already wired inside of me. You never know how much a word of encouragement may launch somebody to the assignment and the path that God has called them to. I look in Scripture and we find two groups of people in the New Testament. When Jesus was walking the earth, we find the Pharisees and we find Jesus himself. The Pharisees were just looking to find faults in people and in Jesus. But what, why did Jesus flip the whole thing upside down? Because Jesus wasn't coming to find fault. Jesus was coming to bring hope. And if we are to pattern our life after Jesus, we should stop trying to find fault in others and start calling out hope in others. To begin to look at people and and recognize and begin to speak to life that there is a greater potential than what they are currently in in that moment. Because I believe that God can use us to bring hope to other people. But we criticize when we're insecure. We criticize when we don't understand why something is happening or how something is happening. We criticize when we don't know. But we can make a choice to bring hope and not fault. We can call out the best and choose to not always point out the worst. I know for me, I want to bring hope and not fault. And as we close this morning... Our last truth of the day is that your mouth can bring life. Your mouth can bring life. 
We may not, in our humanity, be able to tame our mouth. But you know who can help bring self-control? What do we find? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Why? We just came out of this series on the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit working in us will give us the power to allow our big fat mouth to stop bringing death, stop bringing destruction, stop diminishing our light, and we can bring life. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our big fat mouth can be a weapon of mass destruction. But it can also bring life. It can bring life to our families. It can bring life back to our marriages. It can bring life to our workplaces. It can bring life to our church. See, Jesus talked a lot about the heart. And what do we find in Scripture? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in order for your mouth to speak life and love, your heart must be full of life and love. A critical mouth criticizes, an ungrateful heart complains, but a a loving heart produces a graceful tongue. A loving heart produces a graceful tongue. And that's why Jesus says this, and this is probably his most famous message and teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And what do we find in Matthew? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Why? Because what we are known for is oftentimes what comes out of our mouth. You've lived it. You know it. You could pick out those who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't. You can do it in your family. You can do it in your marriage. You can do it in your neighborhood. You can do it in your workplace. You can do it in this church. True followers of Jesus. Why? Because blessed are those who bring peace, who bring life, who bring hope. For they will be called children of God. I really believe Jesus was setting an example. If you would choose to bring peace versus war and and anger and hostility and complaining and grumbling and arguing and criticizing, people will look at your life and say, they are children of God. Because our mouth can bring life. There's power in the tongue. Not just the power of poison, but the power of life. The power for us to shine bright like the stars. All through scripture we find these glowing examples of the power of the tongue. And it's warnings because I don't believe God wants us to step into this trap and fall into this cycle of being negative and, and being complainers and being criticizers. But there's also a balance. And where there's warning, there's also blessing. Blessed are those who choose to make peace with their mouth and be called children of God. But we have to choose today to have a life-giving mouth. Our big fat mouth, we can choose to bring life by having a loving heart. It starts here. We have to ask Jesus. Jesus, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. 
all of us in here can pray that prayer. I need your help that I would complain less, that I would criticize less, that I would love more. It's interesting how that word that God gave us for this year, it continues to resound. Love more, love more, love more. Because that's what it takes to conquer all the destruction. Some of you today need to walk out of here and pick up the phone and call some people that you've destroyed with your mouth. And begin to call out life in them. I'm sorry for the things I said. Some of you had a rough car ride in this morning with your, with your spouse and your family. And you need, to, you need to get back in the car and rewire what took place this morning. Because what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord can repurpose for good. What would our life look like if we just humbled ourselves, stopped being so selfish and said, I am going to choose life in this moment. I'm going to rework I know I messed it. I I know I messed up. But I will say I'm sorry and I'm going to choose to do something different. Soak up his words so it will change your words. Because that's what begins to change us. You want a loving heart? Soak up what he says. And then the practical challenge today is this. Take seven days, no complaining, no criticizing. And I'll... I'll make you a nice cup of coffee next Sunday if you do that. But what would your life look like? Just begin to think about that. What would my life look like if I just took seven days and I fasted? We fast a lot of things in this life. What if we fasted complaining and fasted criticism? We may have more smiles on our face. Some of you, I'm wondering, either you're angry at me right now, or I've given you a lot to think about, or maybe you just didn't grab your coffee on the way in. Whatever, change it. Choose life. That we would be different, and we would make a difference in this world. Now, if you're here today, if you're tuning in online, every service we close this, because this way, because it's great. We can work on our mouth that's connected to our heart. But the first heart decision we have to make is to ask Jesus to be Lord of our life. The greatest decision we will ever make is to say, yes, I want to serve Jesus. Because that's when everything begins to change in us. If we're just focused on our mouth, yeah, we may, we may look like a better person, but I don't want to be a better person. I want to be one that is a saved, redeemed, walking in relationship with Jesus person because that's where the light of my life begins to shine. And I just believe that God has got this assignment for our life that we will miss it if we don't make this decision and don't make that decision to follow Jesus, not just today, but for the rest of our days. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed in the room, every eye to be closed. If you're tuning in online, if you're here, and you just say, Pastor, I I need to make that decision to follow Jesus. Scripture says, if we confess, He is faithful to forgive us. You know how you embrace eternal life? You make a decision to follow Jesus. To say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. And we're going to repeat that prayer today. Everybody in the room, can we do that together? Dear Jesus, become Lord of my life. Forgive me. Help me to follow you, to love you, and to love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give it up? Because I believe that there is life change that's taking place. 
focus of what God is doing. Now, as we close today, I'm going to invite you to stand and let us just begin to worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings together.